This episode is brought to you in part by Dr. Tony Evans, author of Kingdom Kindness. Learn how to become a countercultural force by reflecting God's kindness. Find this and other uplifting resources on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. I had a guy that came up to me one time after church, and he confessed to me that he was in a shootout that week with a, another drug dealer. He was a drug dealer. He's trying to get his life right. He's like, I got, I got in this shootout with these other dealers, and I'm not sure if I hit the guy or not. I'm not sure if I shot him or not. I was looking in the paper and looking online to see if someone went to the hospital. No one did, so I don't know. So pray for me, man. I'm just so convicted. I, I just want to, you know, and, and he was giving his gun up. And I'm just like, like, what do you, you don't learn about that in Bible college. Welcome to the calling, Morgan. Great to be here, Richard. As always, I'm here with a quick to listen host. Sometimes Caitlin is here, but sometimes Caitlin's off climbing mountains, and then we have to talk to each other without Caitlin. So this week, Caitlin is in Indonesia. Indonesia. You ever been to a country that starts with the letter I? I don't think I've ever been to a country other than Mexico and USA. We might need you to bump up that list a little bit. Well, are you opposed? You for it. Are you opposed? No. I am a little scared of uh, speaking in a foreign language or speaking with people who speak in a different language than me. It's just a fear I have. It's I think you call it a fear of the other <laughs> that I struggle with. <laughs> but I'm trying to get past it as much as possible. Well, maybe for your professional development day this year, you can take it and do a it would a be crash good course. for my it would be good for my professional development for sure. Um, Morgan, today on the podcast we have a person known. His moniker is Urban D. Do you know this person? I think that we crossed paths at the Legacy Conference. Right, you did. He was there. He had a booth. In Chicago a couple weeks um, ago. He's written a book called Rebuild. He is... A pastor, right? Yes, he's a pastor. He's an author. Hip-hop artist? Hip-hop artist. He's written both a book and an album and made an album called Rebuild. His church is sort of like an innovative urban church, youth-oriented, but also like very multi-generational, which I found interesting. He talked a lot about that. What does a youth-oriented church mean? Uh, good question. It's, I mean, it's that's probably a term I made up just now on the spot. I don't know if he would use that term, but he does have a heart for youth. He uh, talked about sort of the things that he does to show youth that he cares about them. I think there's a big distinction, right? that you would want to make between showing that you care about a specific sector of society. And in particular, in this case, like in the urban setting, I think there's the fact that um, youth are probably some of the people, the, the people that like need the church most. And Urban D, Tommy, I'm going to say his real name now, Tommy Colonnen, um has a heart for these kids who some of them don't have um, attentive parents. Some of them just need kind of a place to hang out. And he talked a little bit about like when he started doing this sort of outreach, there was like a spate of arsons across the city. I thought it was interesting. You know, the the next issue of CT that's coming out, we're wrapping it up right now as we speak. We're like running around with chickens. This is the September issue, the right? September we just issue. started August, but this is our September issue. Yeah. So the September issue that comes out next month is uh, full of a lot of really great articles. But one in particular is is related to the subject of youth outreach and sort of, like I said, I think there's a distinction between showing them you care and showing them and just like doing stuff they like, right? Or like trying to be trendy and reach out to them for the sake of it. So this article from the next issue of CT called Put Away the Skinny Jeans by Kara Powell, Jake Mulder, and Brad Griffin is actually a really interesting study of a bunch of congregations. And it's, it's kind of like answers the question once and for all, what does work and what doesn't? Um, maybe not once and for all, but it answers. It has a lot. For at to least say this about. point in time, right? Yeah, definitely. So there. Kara actually... Powell, for those of you guys who don't know, has done a lot, a lot, a lot of work in the world of research when it comes to youth ministry. Yeah. So there's a really cool list um, in this piece called Eight Things Your Church Doesn't Need." I'll just uh, whet your appetite with one: a culturally relevant pastoral teaching style, including pastors' attire. So you don't need put that. away your skinny jeans. You don't. Yeah. So put away your skinny jeans, Richard. Um, 
But I guess if you wanted to, you could. It's just saying, like, you don't have to go out of your way. All right. So anyway, that reminds me. We want to take a moment to point out that The Calling is made possible by subscribers of Christianity Today magazine. We have a special offer for those who are interested in subscribing. You'll get that issue with that study that tells you what you do and don't need to attract young adults and youth. Each uh, issue comes with a redemptive yet honest coverage of the people, events, and ideas shaping the church and culture. You'll get 10 award-winning print issues, tablet PDF editions, online access, archives, all that. And for those who are subscribed to The Calling, you can get a year-long subscription for our lowest rate available, $10. Just go to orderct.com slash thecalling to subscribe. By subscribing to The Calling, you'll be supporting thoughtful, essential journalism, and you'll be helping us to produce episodes of The Calling each week. So if you want to support us, you can rate and review us on iTunes if you're already subscribed. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? Go subscribe. I should mention that Exponential was extremely kind in providing space and uh, whatever we needed to get the interviews done. Exponential is a conference. It happens around the country. You can check them out at exponential.org. The next conference is Exponential West. Exponential.org for more information. Anyway, here's the interview with... Tommy Urban D. Colonin. I'm not going to try and freestyle of that. It would <laughs> Come be on, bad. man. I was ready for you to start dropping some runs. When I was in high school, me and all the other white kids would try and freestyle, and it was, I just like think about that and cringe. <laughs> Have you always lived in Tampa? No, originally I grew up in Philly. Okay. That's where the beatbox skills came from. Okay. And breakdancing yeah. and graffiti art, all those kind of things. I grew up in an urban environment. I uh, went to college in Florida, uh-huh. and then I kind of ended up moving to Tampa through that. So I've been in, in Tampa uh, 20 years, man. Where'd you go to college in Florida? I went to Southeastern University okay. in Lakeland. Good. Did you like it? I did, man. I, my first year, I went to a school outside of Philly called Valley Forge Christian College, and now I think it's Valley Forge University. Everyone's getting the university status. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that was like an old army hospital, yeah. and they got it for a dollar, and so the majority of the whole campus was abandoned, mm-hmm. except a couple buildings, and it was terrible, man. It was falling apart. Yeah. Um. So coming to Florida, man, was like paradise. Yeah, yeah. So um, your name is Tommy Kill. Come on, come on. You can do it, man. You got it. Tommy Colonin. It seems like it should be simple, but it's hard. Yeah, it's because it's spelled kind of crazy. Okay, so you're Tommy Colonin. You're also known as Urban D. Yes. Uh, You're a rapper? I am. Yeah, I've been doing hip-hop for uh, about 20 years now. That's a long time. How old are you? Can I ask that? Uh, I can't tell that. It's a secret. Because if you you saw me, you would never guess how old I am. Okay. But I... I, I'll guess 22. Oh, thank you. I did recently have a birthday, and I, and I turned the big four zero. So I am. That's amazing. I'm a little over that now. Wow. But I don't look it, so uh-huh. I'm still in good shape. Still can beatbox and break dance, and yeah, cool. So um, <laughs> you're also a writer, <laughs> yes. and you're a pastor. Mm-hmm. You wrote a book called Rebuild with InterVarsity Press, and you're you run a festival. Yeah, it's called Flavor Fest. It's an urban leadership conference that we do. We've done it for 15 years, okay. training urban leaders. It's kind of really known as the largest gathering of Christian hip-hop in the world. So there's hundreds of artists that come to it every year, on top of church leaders and church planners and pastors and youth pastors. But um, it's really cool. It brings together that that whole tribe. Uh, I'm also a publisher, mm-hmm. if you didn't know that. Okay. I uh, published the Soul Mag. I think right. I gave you one yesterday. Yes, yes, I read it. Yeah, we Soul publish, Mag. publish a magazine. It's kind of like an urban lifestyle magazine. Right. The acronym stands for Speaking on Urban Life. And we have a TV show that's based out of it that airs on uh, Juice, Juice TV, which is um, the youth and young adult channel uh, for TBN. Okay. It's, it's very different than TBN. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> it sounds different it than is, TBN. It is. Yeah. That's cool. Okay, so um, we always start the podcast by asking a very particular question, which is how would you describe or define your calling? In one word, I would say unique. Hmm. If I had two words, the second word I would say is another word that starts with you. That would be urban. I really feel like I'm called to the urban context to do uh, something unique and reach people in a unique way. And then if I was able to use a third word, I would say it would be 
it's not another you word. It would be it would be artistic, you know, and using the arts and being innovative in that way. Why is it that you feel you like you're called to the urban context? Uh, well, first of all, I grew up in the urban context in Philly, and so that's where you know I kind of got into hip hop and, and the street culture and all those things. But yeah, it was kind of interesting because I grew up in the church because my father is actually a pastor. So it was these two different worlds that didn't really collide ever. They didn't intersect. Mm-hmm. They were very different. So my life. What denomination was he a pastor? Uh, Assemblies of God. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but he was actually a progressive. Assemblies of God. Oh, pastor. really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were singing courses, and we had an overhead projector at our church. Oh, that's progressive. Ooh, it was in the eighties. <laughs> it yeah. was in the eighties for yeah. for AG that's where church. it starts. Yeah, right. The projector, the p- overhead projector, uh, and then you know when people would mess up and not put the right slide on. That's another story. <laughs> oh, that kind of overhead <laughs> yeah, projector. Yeah, like the kind where like someone is like putting the slide on for the next song. Got it. I should have caught that because I used to work with projectors. Like my previous job was yeah. literally like it was classroom technology manager, which means I deal with projectors. I like yeah. loan out overhead projectors. Yeah, no, I'm not talking about the projection screens we not have data today. projectors, yeah. overhead projectors. Yeah. Wow. Or like, let's write it on a clear piece of paper, uh-huh. write out the song, and there's typos in it. And yeah. Someone has bad handwriting. <laughs> All <laughs> yeah. those deals. Yeah. So that's the world I grew up in. But anyways, when I was uh, in 11th grade, my family moved out of the city, and my dad became a pastor at a church in a small town in the middle of the mountains of Pennsylvania, and it was culture shock. So when you take a kid that's in 11th grade that has all their friends and their support system, and I played sports, and you know I had that world that I was used to. That's the only thing I knew. And I moved to this small town that's so different. People had a different accent. They dressed different. They listened to different music. Uh, it was kind of country. And I was just like, people were like, you know, they introduced me to like chewing tobacco. I'm like, what is this? You ever tried chew? I'm uh-huh. like, no. What is that? Is that gum? You know, like, you know, I think it's the big gum packs or something. Mm-hmm. So anyways, it was just a whole nother world. So, but very, very different than Philly. So it made me realize how much like I was an urban person and I was in a multi-ethnic world and that's what I was used to. And so being taken out of it was like culture shock and I wanted to go back. And so then my first year of college, I went back to Philly and went to school there. And then in the midst of that, realized my first year, didn't know I was in Bible college. I was a rebellious pastor's kid doing some crazy stuff. But God said, go to Bible college the first year. Okay. I didn't even know if I was college material. And that's when I felt my calling. When some people say God said, they mean a different thing than other people. What do you mean by God said? It was like, Tommy. No, no. Uh, I don't know how that sounded on the mic. <laughs> it uh, probably sounded really good. It, it wasn't that big, loud voice like maybe you just heard on here on the podcast, but it was a st- still small voice, and it took a while to hear it because, you know, when we finally it, turn our lives to God or we submit to God, should I say, many times it's not like God then suddenly is like, okay, here's your assignment. Sometimes it's a process of seeking His will, hearing what He really wants you to do, and so as I was at Bible college that first year, I was still messing up. I was going to the clubs on the weekend, hanging out with my friends from the city that weren't even following Christ. And, you know, and then I was going to Bible college during the week. And so everyone was judging you at Bible college. Yeah, they were. Yeah. They're like, that's that crazy kid I from the city. I went to Bible city. college and I know how that, I know how that guy yeah. goes down. But there's also, yeah. let me say this, there's also at Bible college, Believe it or not, there's a crazy crew at Bible college. Right, yeah, I'm not even Christian. Yeah. It's like, and I and and I just <laughs> kind of just navigate. I, I got attracted to that crew. Yeah. That was the crew I hang out hung out with at school. They you were call che- everyone else legalistic all the yeah, time. Yeah, they, they were cheating on tests. So I, yeah. I was part of that crew. I was cheating on tests at Bible college, <laughs> but I did draw the line. This is a scoop. I, I didn't. I didn't cheat on Bible tests. Nice. That's good. <laughs> because I, I was that's like, important. dude, that's where I draw the line. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not cheating on Old Testament survey. Like you could yeah. get struck with lightning. Yeah. Right? No way. Yeah. Um, but if it was like math or English or something. But anyway, second semester, I, I, I was sitting in in chapel on a Monday morning. I'd just been hanging out with my friends all weekend, going to the club, staying up all night. So I'm there like tired in chapel and I'm sitting down. Everyone else is standing up, worshiping God. Some people have their hands in the air. They're really engaging in worship. And I'm just sitting there like, and God just, I felt like him in that still small voice say to me, like, what are you doing here? Why are you even here? Like either get with the program I have for your life and seek me or just quit and go hang out with your friends in the city. And you're going to miss this unique, special thing that I have for your life. 
because I knew God had something special for me. But I just, and people told me that my whole life being around church, just couldn't figure out what it was. So that day was like an epiphany for me. A light went off and I said, you know what? All right, God, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to get serious about this. Show me what it is. I don't want to miss it. I got scared. What, what did you do next? So what I did next was, um, and if you're out there listening to this, like a lot of times people will, um, God will use people to tap you on the shoulder. And when you feel needed, that's many times when something begins to ignite inside of you. It activates. So I had a friend of mine that was in school with me. He was a senior and I was just a freshman, but he was really a cool guy and he was a solid Christian. Um, but I really liked him because he knew how to have fun. He was a great practical joker. Mm-hmm. So we did lots of practical jokes together in, in the dorm. And, um, and he was, he became a youth pastor. He was in his final semester, but he started working at this church and it was down in the city. And he came to me and tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Tommy, I need you to come help me, man. You come on Wednesday nights to the youth group. There's a lot of kids in the youth group that are kids from the city. And I'm like from the suburbs. I don't really understand them. I need you to just come and be a leader and help me. And so I felt needed. And he was my friend. So I'm like, cool. I could do that for you, bro. I got you. So I started going and connecting with these kids from the city. And we went on some trips and I was building relationships. I took some of them home uh, on Wednesday nights after the youth service. And God began to like ignite this thing inside of me and activate like, this is what I want you to do. And I'm like, yo, I could do this. This is fun. This is great. And I can connect with these kids. These kids are into hip hop. I'm into hip hop. I grew up here in the city. This is great. Um, at the same time, there were some girls, some girls. In the school, they came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, we're starting this homeless ministry in downtown Philly, and uh, we need some people that understand the streets. And I was like, oh, yeah. I got <laughs> they were you, like, girl. that's Tommy. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so uh, so I started going with them and some other students. Uh, we'd go late at night, like 10 o'clock at night, when the people that were down there were really homeless. And we'd give out blankets and sandwiches. And uh, at that time, um, it was the early 90s, so it was the crack epidemic was out. So all these people that were addicted to crack became homeless, and the majority of them were young adults, and many of them young adults of color and young adults from the city that were into hip-hop. So immediately when I would go down there with all these other students, I was the one they would all want to talk to and be attracted to because the way I dressed, the way I talked, they could tell I was part of that tribe. So man, I just began to just minister to people down there, and that was the first time I ever prayed for for someone uh, in front of a big circle out loud. Because they were like, Tommy, can you pray for us? Because they knew my name uh, as we were going down there week after week. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, let, let, let me go get Richard. Richard, come on over, man. Hey, this is um, George. He wants you to pray for him. So so let's let's go ahead and circle up. And yeah. then they all looked, nah, Tommy, we want you to pray for us. <laughs> oh, me? Well, I'm not really that good at praying. But they're like, nah, man, go ahead. You got it. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, Richard was like, go ahead, Tommy. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, man, crap. You know, here I was, someone who grew up in church, but I never really, like, prayed publicly or corporately in front of anyone. And here's a circle of, like, 15 people now, and they're looking to me to be the guy. And so God began to use me, even in the middle of my brokenness, and I was still trying to put my life together and really follow God, you know, with all my heart. Uh, but through a couple of those things, I knew that God was really calling me, you know, to do urban ministry in the urban context and reach people that were like me. That grew up in that context, grew up listen, listening to hip hop and just really couldn't necessarily maybe connect with the average church, or the average Christian that may be older from a, a different, you know, cultural context. Did you graduate? Um, I did, man. Yeah. Okay. Woo! You graduated yeah. Southeastern. Yeah. I transferred South- to Southeastern the second year and I went there for the next three years. You, did you immediately have a pastorate after that? No, actually, I met my wife in school okay. and, and she was from New York City, from Queens. And me being from Philly, so we're both in Florida, and we're like, it's nice here, the weather's nice, but we're going back up north. Right, yeah. We're moving back up there. We're going to start a ministry up there, be involved at a church, and do youth ministry. But being that the school was in the southeast, there was really no doors open or no connections that they had. But uh, I did an internship in Clearwater at this church that was in an urban community, and there was a guy that lived in that neighborhood that went to church in Tampa, and he saw me doing this big basketball league on the on the parking lot of this church around the corner from him that he used to go to and he stopped going to because they didn't do anything for the community. Right. And he was like, man, what's all these kids on the basketball court doing, man? Who's doing this? This is great. Uh-huh. So he took me to lunch. He told me about Crossover Church, which had just started a few years before that, and they didn't have a youth group, and they needed a youth group. 
and they needed someone to lead it. And they're like, I saw what you did on the basketball courts there at that church. Like, you could really come to Tampa and kill it. And so I was like, okay, well, let, let me pray about it. Let's explore it. So long story short, I, I ended up going to Tampa. That was uh, 20 years ago and started the youth ministry at this little church plant. From scratch, there was one teenage girl. And so there's no really no church kids. So the right. pastor said, "Man, you just reach kids in the neighborhood." What did reach. you do? What was your first like? What? So I I was a youth pastor yeah. in Florida, actually, okay. in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. I was a youth pastor straight out of college, and what I did was go in and say, "Look, I'm reformed. I'm a Calvinist. I don't go out like trying to lure people in. Yeah. I'm not going to do a bunch of programs." Uh, and they're like, "That's fine. We God's just, sovereign. We'll bring them in." Yeah, they're <laughs> like, "Yeah, exactly." <laughs> yeah, because uh, I was like a young, dumb person. Yeah. Uh, th- they're like, "That's that's fine. We just want someone to like, you know, lead something for the kids." And I did that for about a year, and they're like, "We wanted you to do programs. Uh, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't just sit there. Can't just hang out." Yeah. So what? So I, I have a feeling that wasn't your approach when you came in. Yeah. No, that wasn't my approach. I knew I needed to. There was one girl in the church, so there wasn't really much to do. So I wasn't <laughs> yeah. gonna hang out with one kid. So right. I was like, "We gotta get a few more Prepare kids in here." Bible studies for this one person. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and it was funny because the pastor said, I want you to start doing a Bible study right away. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, I got to get some kids here. I, I, <laughs> why don't we wait a few months until I'm going to start this basketball league? So that was going to be my big draw because that's what I did at the other church with my internship. And, you know, but that takes planning. You got to sign kids up. You got to do all kinds of things to get it started. You can't start it like next week. So he said, no, you can't wait a couple months. What are you going to do for a couple months? You need to start doing something. So I did. And uh, he brought two of his neighbors, and then some other girl came. So there was four. There was four of us. Nice. Exponential growth. Woo, look at that. Yeah. Uh, And I said, man, we're having pizza next week. So Uh everybody bring a friend. And the next week, there was nine. Wow. I'm like, woo, we doubled. Uh More than doubled in size. And uh, even those first couple months before we started the basketball league, we got up to about 20 kids that were coming, and kids were bringing their friends. And we weren't even doing anything incredible. We would do a little Bible study. I would just share, be myself. We would play some crazy games because, you know, kids love that fun. And uh, I'd pick up, you know, take the old – we had a 1973 van that we called the Hoopty. Mm-hmm. And it was hurt. <laughs> it had, you know, holes in the floor and everything. But uh, we'd pick up kids in the Hoopty, and then, you know, one kid would bring two kids the next week. And I'd go pick up my other friend. He lives three blocks up this way. It just kept growing. And then the big, the big draw was the basketball league. We started a basketball league in the neighborhood. Uh, we did it on the, the city, um, basketball courts and every kid that joined was going to get a free t-shirt. And if they completed the league, they were going to get a free pair of Nikes. And, and so the park was like, well, how much does it cost to be in it? I'm like, it's free. Well, how are you going to pay for everything? How much does it cost to get in it? I'm like, it's free. Because at first they were like, nah, you can't do that here. I'm like, we want to put on a basket, free basketball league. And we started telling them what we're going to give the kids. And they're like, well, how much does it cost? We're like, it's free. Where are you going to get that from? I'm going to find it. I'm going to find <laughs> the money from somewhere, but not from the kids right. and not from you guys. Don't worry about it. We just need to use your courts. So then the city was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. That'll get the kids out of trouble. Because <laughs> there was a lot of issues going on in the neighborhood. And so there like was- Like what? Uh, at the time, there was um, a lot of houses being burnt huh. in our neighborhood. Wow. Um, there was an epidemic almost every night. There was one or two houses being burned. Arson. Like, it was abandoned houses. Wow. Yeah. It was 1996 in, in Seminole Heights in Tampa. Yeah. Uh, anyways, on top of that, there was just a lot of drug dealing, mm-hmm. a lot of prostitution, a lot, a lot of just junk for kids to get into. Yeah. Uh, particularly, we targeted the housing project that was about nine blocks away from the church. Sure. And uh, the basketball courts were kind of like in the park right next to the projects. Um, so about 65 kids were part of the basketball league, mm-hmm. and uh, about more than half of them started coming to the youth group. Wow. And so then it just— Why do you, why do they, why do you think they started coming to the youth group? Well, here's the thing. They, they first knew me as coach. They first knew me as the DJ because I'd bring this sound system out there uh-huh. and I'd be playing Christian hip hop. Yeah. You know, and because they never heard that, but they're vibing to it. Yeah. You know, like, oh, who is that? You know, yeah. and then they try to bring, yo, it, it was 20 years ago. So they bring a tape. Yo, play my tape. Uh-huh. You know, I'm like, nope, <laughs> I'm only playing this music. It's got to be clean. Uh-huh. You know, because uh-huh. they want to put on who stuff with profanity. Uh, back then, um, it was groups like uh, LPG. The Tunnel Rats, um, SFC, rats. Soup the Chemist, uh-huh. um, Dynamic Twins. Man, those T-Bone. are the good old days. You remember T-Bone? Yeah, definitely. Um, a group from Philly that wasn't quite out in the national scene, but I had their stuff because I was from Philly. I was friends with them. They were called the Cross Movement. They got really big after that. 
So, you know, these kids were vibing to it. So they knew me as the DJ, the coach, the basketball guy. And then strategically, second week of the basketball league, after I built relationships with these kids, I'm going to the projects, playing basketball with them on other days besides the league. Uh, we did a big pizza party. And the pizza party was at the church on the youth group night. So they didn't know they were coming to youth group. And the, t- and the basketball league was called the North Tampa Basketball League. It was sponsored by the city of Tampa and Crossover Church. And so, hey, we're having a pizza party for the North Tampa Basketball League. It's going to be a crossover. Right. Oh, cool, free pizza, I'll go. You know, and so there was like 75 kids that showed up at youth group that night. And this is just four months after I started the youth group. We had 75 kids there. I'm like, woo, look at this. Right. You know, this is going to blow up. The next week we had like 17. I'm like, where'd everybody go? You know, but uh, it grew from there. So by the end of that first year, we actually had about 40 or 50 kids that were regularly coming. Most, all of them were unchurched kids. So fast forward six years, uh, the youth ministry grew all the way up to about 300. And the church on Sundays still had about 40. But now the face of that 40 looked very different. It was predominantly young adults and teenagers that had grown into young adults that were in the youth ministry. And it was leaders from the youth ministry as well. So the leadership of the church was pushing me to step up and become the lead guy. And I was very reluctant because the youth ministry was so large and that kept me busy. And I was signed to a national record label. So I'm I'm doing my music, traveling, and that supplemented my income. Like the church wasn't able to pay me regularly, but my music, being I was a national artist, I was going out getting paid pretty good to do shows and selling CDs. And so that was, you know, supporting my family in essence. So I was like, man, I don't know if I can wear another hat. And I don't want to be the guy in charge. So that was... So they were asking you to be the lead pastor. Yeah, the guy. And I was still in my 20s. I'm like, I'm, right. I'm, man, I'm, I'll do that when I'm old. Like, Late 20s? I was 28. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty pretty young. So stepped into that role um, reluctantly. But um, I think our biggest asset was freedom. We didn't have much money. We didn't have much resources. We had this young congregation. Uh, but we did have a building. The building was given to us. We didn't have a mortgage or rent. So that, that made it easy. We didn't have that pressure. Um, but we just had creativity and innovation. And uh, we had freedom to really remix church and, and do it the way that we thought was going to reach the audience that God was saying, this is who I want you to reach. And we didn't do that right away. We really seeked God. At first several months, I was seeking God saying, who are we called to reach as a church? Like, What's what's supposed to be our um, position in the kingdom here in this city Like that you're uniquely calling us to do as a church? And so God kind of made it clear eventually that you're called to reach unchurched people or de-churched people that are from the urban context, that are influenced by hip-hop culture, urban culture, and nobody else is doing that. Those people don't feel comfortable anywhere else. They can come in your church and wear sneakers and jeans and, and tattoos and, you know, be from a crazy background and a gang background or whatever. And, you know, they can come into your place and feel welcome, just like they do in the youth and young adult service. They Young families and people, they need that on a Sunday. And so we Googled, is anybody else doing that? I don't even know if they had Google then, but we were searching on the internet. <laughs> you asked Jeeves. Is, is, is anybody? Yeah, right? <laughs> the old search engines. And... um and we couldn't find anything. So we kind of had to just build the plane as we were flying it. And we did get some good mentors and read a lot of books. And we're trying to look at best practices in different areas and kind of just had to then customize that to, uh, to our context. Yeah. It- in our broken world, it can be hard to see how Jesus is at work making all things new. That's why every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear through redemptive storytelling and global reporting. Whether it's a pastor in Brazil who uses CT in Portuguese to lead his ministry, or a young believer who wants to think biblically about our culture, CT comes alongside believers to illuminate what it looks like to follow Jesus in today's world. Jesus is transforming his world. CT is equipping his church. Give a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com slash equip. It does feel like, um, just when I look into your ministry, it feels very of Tampa. It feels very unique, right? Like it feels like, I I just don't know anything else that like, at least on the face of it, I haven't been there. I don't know, but what I've read it seems very specific to your context. Yeah, it is. But it is, at the same time, it is very uh, diverse. 
it's multi-ethnic, it's, it is multi-generational, because uh, even though you've got these people that might be, you know, in their 20s, 30s, or now even 40s that are into this style and context, um, well, they're bringing their parents with them. Their parents might be in their 50s or 60s, or grandparents are coming, and they love it. Like some of our greatest volunteers are retired people, you know, and they're coming to a church that does hip hop uh-huh. and R and B on a Sunday morning, and there's break dancing, spoken word, and and film, and you know, black gospel and reggae, and like we really we're very eclectic with our worship, you know, format. We do some EDM, and you know, so it's but I mean it's it's the it's the pulse of what's happening today, really in pop culture. I mean, we want our worship experience not to be something that's stylistically not something that's so foreign. Uh, but yet, I mean, we don't use, let me say this as a clarification, we don't use secular mainstream music, you know. So Why not? Because it creates confusion. Huh. I, I, you know, I have a lot of people that ask me, so you're using the worldly music? No. Mm-hmm. No, we're not using the latest Jay-Z or, mm-hmm. you know, Young Thug beat. Life of Pablo. You know, we're not, you know, we're not playing Kanye's <laughs> latest album. Mm-hmm. You know, and there is some churches that do that. Even you're not suburb- tempted a little bit to use su- ultralight su- beam? Suburban, yeah. You know, I mean, I watch what's happening out there, you uh-huh. know, and I, and I appreciate, appreciate the creativity of it. But what it can do is, and we found this because we used to do it. Mm-hmm. So we learned, okay, you know, yeah. by trial, trial and error. Yeah. Uh, so we used to have the DJ that would play instrumentals from songs that were out popular songs we would even like our worship team we have a dj on the platform and our worship team many times sings off of the dj the the track that the dj plays we have a band a lot of times where the band plays with the dj so there was this is way back like 15 years ago when we first started with the dj in the youth ministry and young adult service so we'd play like the latest song that was out on the radio we'd play the instrumental to it and we'd be singing a worship song over it but you'd have a lot of people that were coming in unchurched. They were singing the other words. Right. <laughs> or they were standing there like, why are y'all playing that here? Yeah. Like they were just confused. And then we had a lot of people that started coming up to us. And these are unchurched people, youth and young adults. Like, hey, man, like I, I love like that we have the hip hop flavor here and you have you bring rappers in and you guys are even telling us to like change our music listening habits and listen to stuff that's you know, not got profanity. It's not degrading women. We get that. God is doing something in our life. We're changing. Um, but like when you keep playing those beats, it reminds us, it brings us back to those days. It, it, it brings those words back. It, you know, and there's other kids that are coming here and young adults that are new and they're singing the other words and some of them are confused. And, you know, there's a high school student that came to us and said, man, our church has a bad reputation at our school. I'm like, why? Cause everybody says it's not a real church. Cause y'all playing Busta Rhymes and, you know, we're playing Eminem and we're, I'm like, for real? Like, yeah, man. Like everybody's like, that's not, like, a church shouldn't be doing that. And so it was like, really? Like the, the world is saying this. Yeah. You yeah. know? So, and, and of course, I mean, there's still going to be some people that are going to be like, you shouldn't do hip hop in church at all. Yeah. You know, but this is actually unchurched young adults that like hip hop that right. are like, wait a minute. You shouldn't be playing Busta Rhymes at church. That's weird. You know, but <laughs> yeah. it's okay to have a hip hop style. So, and then at the same time, like, we just encourage, like, creativity. We don't want to be copycats. And I think the church has done that for too long. Yeah. We're always, like, chasing the latest trend when we need to be innovators. We need to be trendsetters. And we have a lot of creative people at our church that are creative, man, and they're doing things. And uh, we take art very seriously. And, you know, we want to be art creators that if you know church history, the church used to be the center of art like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Right. And now the center of art is Hollywood or, you know, social media or whatever. Portland or something. Yeah, you know, some of these artsy <laughs> places, Austin or something, Austin, <laughs> Texas. But, um, you know, the church should be creating good art that, you know, obviously comes from a Christ-centered worldview. It doesn't have to have Jesus in every line or every painting or whatever. But, you know, good art will attract people and that can be a form of ministry. Do you think art is more important in the urban context? That's a great question. I don't even think anyone's ever asked me that before. <laughs> I would say yes and no, because I think with millennials, period, like art and music and I mean, we all look at screens all the time. You know, that's just the world we live in today. It's art's very important. The look is important. Uh, one of my mentors said this quote, architecture is language. Even the way a building is set up, a room, the colors, the lighting, the furniture, all that kind of creates a, a language and sets an atmosphere and a tone. 
So I think it's really important. A lot of people ask me, because we have so many, most of our churches under 40, they'll ask me, how do you reach millennials? That's a big conversation, yeah, yeah. you know, in the church yeah. world. Like, how do you reach millennials? It's like, man, you got to look at everything from A to Z. Of what is your church and your worship experience? What does it look like? What does it sound like? Because all that speaks a language, you know, and art speaks a language. And many times the art that the church is speaking is like, Still the overhead projector. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, was there ever a time uh, that you struggled with a, with doubt about your calling? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think there's been and moments of, because it's so out of the box, because it's so crazy, because there's haters that would hate on us and say we're not a real church or we really reach, is it just a big concert or you're just entertaining people? Is anyone really... You know, coming to a, a solid relationship with Jesus. And, you know, we've gotten that many times and, and, th- and that can be discouraging. But then there's just been moments where, you know, financially it's just been challenging. Um, especially in our earlier years, as you know, the crowd we reach is, was, was and still a lot of it is, is younger, it's unchurched or dechurched. And a lot of them are just very broken. And so, man, how do you create something that's going to be self-sustainable when there's so much brokenness? It's, it's challenging. And so, yeah, there's been those moments where, you know, you doubt or there's been moments even when I wrote my first book, I was writing it and I was dreaming that hopefully I can get this out there. Hopefully it'll get published. And, uh, you know, I, I did terrible in English growing up, you know, <laughs> uh, but now, I mean, I did learn how to, to write pretty decent. I thought at least I'm publishing a magazine and doing all this stuff with writing. I was getting hired by some different publishers to do stuff, uh, projects with writing, but then I had a book and. You know, nothing was happening with it for a while. You know, I was just like, man, I'm just dreaming. I, you know, or when we were at our old campus about to move to the new one, and it was just such a huge leap of faith. Um, there was definitely a lot of obstacles that came up. And then there was moments of doubt, like, ah, we're just always going to be here in this little building. This is it. This is the peak of it. Who am I fooling? We're never going to be able to do something really big for God. Um, I'm just a dreamer. So I think we all have those moments when we're dreamers, when we're visionaries, and God's, you know, showing us to do big things, but it just doesn't add up. It doesn't add up yet. It's all just a dream. So it's it can get scary. You were married when you went into ministry, right? Uh, I got married the second month. We were engaged, though. Okay. So I started in January, and then we got married in February. Okay. And then you have kids? Yes. Uh, we waited for a while to have kids. So uh that's why people also think I'm younger too cuz my kids are a little younger. Uh-huh. Uh um my youngest is 9 and my oldest actually man she's going to be a teenager tomorrow. That's crazy. Turns 13. Yeah. So time is time is flying. So yeah, we got two girls. Uh-huh. Pray for me, man. I got a house full of Puerto Rican women. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Estrogen. You, yeah. <laughs> how did the how did um how did you learn to like balance ministry and family? Um I'm still learning. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh it's definitely a constant, um, a constant learning thing. I, and just to be transparent, I do really well with it sometimes. And then there's other times I'm not doing as well. And so my wife, boy, she'll put me in check with the quickness. <laughs> um, yeah, she'll definitely, um, let me know when I'm getting off balance. And I've got some. What does that look like? You being off balance? Where I'm just, I'm working too many hours at the church or I'm traveling. I've said yes to too many things too much in a row. And so I'm gone too much. Um, there's a balance to all that. You know, I'm not at home enough nights of the week to be with the girls or I haven't taken her out on a date night in a while or I've, I've been taking my, I take my girls out on date nights, you know, on a regular basis as well. And sometimes there's gaps for those things and I'm like, oh man, I'm just, you know, some, I'm excited. I'm a visionary. There's so much to do. Yeah. And sometimes I just gotta, you know, I get a little bit ahead of myself. So I'm, I'm regularly having to, you know, recalibrate and try to stay disciplined and look at my habits. And all those things. And I have some, some people in my life that will check me on it as well. Not just my wife, but some of my mentors that will ask me some of those tough questions that, that I need people in my life to do that. We all do. You, you do a lot of traveling. You go to a lot of conferences. You talk to people who ask you questions like, how do I reach millennials? What do you find is the thing that you have to offer to people who aren't in the urban t- context? What is the sort of feedback that you find yourself giving the most often? Yeah, even if they're not, I mean, a, a predominantly lot of stuff I do is, you know, urban or multi-ethnic based. But, you know, even at a conference like this, there's people that still wander into my workshop that are like, yeah, I'm from like rural Iowa. I'm like, oh, great. 
do you know what this is about? No, you know, <laughs> there's, there's still, there's still nuggets and stuff that's still transferable, uh, whatever culture they're in. I think one of the big things I tell people if they want to reach millennials is, man, be yourself. Don't try to be something that you're not. Don't try to use slang that you don't normally use. I mean, people are going to tell if you're being genuine and authentic and, or, or you're just trying to be something you're not. And, and I think that's, that's key. You want to, and you want to listen. I think a lot of times the older generation uh, doesn't always listen. And the younger generation today, under the under 40 crowd, is into asking questions. And the older generations, they weren't allowed to ask questions. So they can almost look at questions as being something disrespectful. Oh, you're questioning my authority. No, we just really are trying to have a genuine conversation and understand why this is done this way. Is there a reason for that? I've talked to so many non-Christians who have said, I've asked them about their church background and like their beliefs, and they said they they grew up in the church and they have vivid memories of sitting in Sunday school and asking questions that were sort of rejected. Yep. They would say, why, who made God? And they'd be like, you're being sarcastic or whatever. And they would be like, I understood from then on, like, this isn't for me. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Christians should ask questions. Absolutely. Um, So we're doing a series at our church starting this weekend. And we always, every year, do at least one apologetic series. I love apologetics. And especially if you have a young audience, they have questions and their friends and their coworkers and, and the world that they live in has questions for them about their faith, their church, their Jesus, their, you know, all these things. And so if the church doesn't equip the people that are in their congregation to know why they believe what they believe, uh, man, we're doing a huge disservice. So that's why if you look at Barna, you know, Barna does all this research on the church. There's so many the majority of students that grow up in the church, go to youth group, all that stuff, they go to college and they get in this secular environment and they get thrown into the lion's den and they're asked all these serious questions about their faith or they have this professor that's dissing the Bible and saying all this stuff has been changed. Well, you don't know that, you know, and they don't know. Has it been changed? We never talked about that. Where did it come from? Is it, it's not historically accurate well, really? Well, uh, and so they're hit, they're hit with so much of this stuff for the first time. They don't have answers for it. Um, either A, the, you know, obviously they're like a deer on the head, headlights, mm-hmm. but either A, they go back and do some research and figure it out. And that's a small group or B, they just begin to question themselves and end up walking away. And, um, so I think the church needs to do a much better job to equip and answer the questions that are in the congregation. So every, every message I have, Anytime, I always think about who's in the crowd, the unchurched person, the new believer, the mature believer, the skeptic. And so, because I'm skeptical, because people come up to me all the time being a leader and an influencer. They want me to sign up for the latest this or that, or you heard about this, or I got this business, and I'm, you know, and I was like, oh boy, here yeah, we go. I got this podcast I want you to be on. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I'll do that for you, Rich. <laughs> so, Anyways, you know, so I always try to think about what is that person thinking? What's their question about this passage or this topic or what I'm preaching on or teaching on right now? So I try to answer those questions even in a message because you can't always do a Q&A on a Sunday morning. We do a Bible study format at our church on Wednesday nights where we actually do Q&A at the end. And that's sometimes with a big crowd, 150 plus people, and it can get it's a little risky, but it's great. It's right. interesting. It's vulnerable. Right. It's, you know, there's some good stuff that comes out of it, man. Um, but I always try to think about that mm-hmm. and, uh, equip, equip people to be able to answer questions. Not that we want to always have to debate or win a fight. Yeah. But there's people that are authentically like searching. Yeah. Or like you said, the people that are like, yeah, in Sunday school, they didn't answer this. And so that person can be there like, oh, really, man, I feel you. But did you ever hear about this, this, and this? And mm-hmm. they could begin to engage them in a conversation. What's the most awkward situation that came out of those Q&As? Really, I, I think people sometimes even making themselves be awkward <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and saying, putting themselves out there. Like, for instance, I can think this, I think it's the second week we did it because we just started doing this last last year. Um, this lady was like, yeah, you know, well, you know, I know we were, we were going through a series, uh, an expository series on Colossians, verse by verse, um, going through it. And so, you know, Paul was you know, talking about, you know, really like coming out of darkness and, and I can't remember the exact 
line it was, but she was kind of coming off of that saying, you know, well, I'm still trying to, like Paul says, like come out of that, but, you know, like I still have my moments, like, and my son checked me on it the other day. Y'all know my son's a teenager, and you know, and I was, he gets me mad sometimes, and I was just, I would be cussing him out sometimes, you know, <laughs> and she's like, you can't be cussing me out, you, you know, and so she's just like, and she's like, oh, wait. You know, and everyone's like looking at her like, don't judge me, y'all. I'm sorry, uh-huh. you know. And so, but you That's know what? That's amazing, though. It was, she came out and said that and then felt a little awkward, like, yeah. you know, but I, I kind of helped weave in, like, I know there's a lot of us out here that that's us too. Yeah. We have angry, anger. We, we curse somebody out sometimes or, or we say something or do something that we know we shouldn't as a believer, but we're still in this process of sanctification. We're becoming more like Jesus and it's not a, overnight thing where we pray this prayer and then boom you know but man it's this process and there's still parts of the flesh that we're still battling with and there's going to be moments and it was freeing for a lot of people so that's the thing about urban people many times they're just so honest and there was people that came up to that lady her name's Teresa. um for she told me weeks after that there was people that were coming up to her talking to her man thank you so much for being honest because i'm going through and then she would be praying with people together in the lobby and getting people's phone numbers and building with them. And, and so I, it's pretty imp- incredible to have uh, a, a big meeting like that where yeah. people are literally confessing their sins to one another yeah. in a way that's that open yeah. and freeing. And, and I think part of that is when you are transparent, even in your teaching and your speaking, uh, which we, we are at our church many times. We'll admit stuff that we've went through, even if it's something like recent. You know, it's not like, oh, this is my BC days. I used to do this. Like, right. yo, I just had this thought like three weeks ago and right. God's working on me with this and I'm your pastor, you know? So that kind of opens it up for people to be like, you know, to share their junk. And I have people that come up to me, a lot of, you know, a lot of people put masks on in church. So how you doing, pastor? Oh, I'm, I'm blessed, highly favored. You know, yeah. they don't want to tell you what's really going on. But man, after church in the lobby, and I'm in the lobby after every, we do three services on Sunday and I'm in the lobby. All the staff is after every service. We're touchable. We're praying with people. We're talking with people and meeting them. Um, I have many people that come up to me and just start spilling their guts. I had a guy that came up to me one time after church. This was several years ago. And he confessed to me that he shot someone. He, he was in a shootout that week with a, another drug dealer. He was a drug dealer. He's trying to get his life right. He's like, I got in this shootout with these other dealers, and I'm not sure if I hit the guy or not. I'm not sure if I shot him or not. I was looking in the paper and looking online to see if someone went to the hospital. No one did, so I don't know. So pray for me, man. I'm just so convicted. I just want to, you know, and, and he was giving his gun up. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, like, what do you, you don't learn about that in Bible college. Like, what do right. you do <laughs> yeah. when someone comes yeah. up to you after church and says they think they might have shot someone? Pray for me. Yeah. Can God forgive me for that? That's not and, in the handbook. And you're just like, wow. But when you create an environment where you're loving, where you welcome everyone, where you're transparent, I mean, people will share. I mean, that's that's where it starts at, when you bring it out of the darkness and bring it into the light. Yeah, and I assume in light of the that atmosphere, the gospel is a lot more powerful. Yeah. Because there's a reason for it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like we're messed up. We don't deserve this, but look what Jesus did for us. Yeah. You know, look at... You know, we're messed up. We're, we totally are undeserving of this, but this is how much he loved us. And so when people get that and connect with the gospel, um, man, it's, it's powerful. And, and when you have people in the urban context, many times when they change, man, it's, it's, it's radical. You know, they went from over here to like, boom, they're on fire. That's when people can begin to rebuild. If you could get in the time machine, go back in time. <laughs> Good. Thank you for that. Find yourself and give him advice. Um, what would that advice be? Don't be scared. Um, God does have something huge and unique for you. I can't tell you what it is right now in its enormous complexity, but it's going to be great. It's Why wouldn't be, you want to tell him what it is? Because I would have been too scared. <laughs> <laughs> and I always tell people that, like, if yeah. God would have showed me what I would fully be doing, like, 10, 20 years ago, I would have ran. Yeah. That's why God doesn't always show you everything in full. Yeah. He gives you little bits and chunks as you go along and you just keep following and um, he shows you what's next. So um, I would just say to myself, yeah, don't be scared and know that God's got you. Be confident in him, not in yourself, but in him. People can buy your book, Rebuild. Yeah, Rebuild. It tells this miracle story yeah. uh, of us moving into an abandoned Toys R Us store in the heart of the urban core in Tampa. 
uh, retrofitting 43,000 square feet. And it's a crazy roller coaster of emotions and a journey that took us years. And it looked like it wasn't going to happen at so many points, but so many times God came through with, with more miracles. And so as we rebuilt this building, it was so we could rebuild more people. And so I, I'll just end with saying, um, since we've been there for five years now, uh, we've seen literally thousands of people connect with the gospel and with Jesus. And uh, we just celebrated a couple weeks ago baptizing our 1,000th person wow. in the past five years. So that uh, is, has been amazing. And, and the biblical thread of Nehemiah is all throughout the book. And me being a hip-hop artist, I also uh, did an album that's called Rebuild that ties in with it. And it's on iTunes and all the digital outlets as well. Um, and it's like a soundtrack to the book. So the book has 10 chapters. The album has 10 songs that are with the same title that have content directly from the book. So I wrote the book first, then I wrote the album out of it. So, um, this could be a first for your podcast. I could close out with doing, uh, an acapella. So have you, you had anyone rap on the podcast? No, yet? never. Okay, man. So, Do it. so here we go. <laughs> so this is from a song I have that's called Empowering Others from the Rebuild album. It goes like this. We live in a culture, it's all about the individuals. Forget about the principles, it's all about residuals. It's opposite of Philippians 2, 3, where Paul says, think about you before I think about me. Check Nehemiah 5, he confronted injustice, stood up for the forgotten. We need to discuss this, because our planet's got a leadership crisis from Greece to Russia to China to ISIS. We're called to be agents of reconciliation, empower people of every ethnic persuasion. Did you know the multi-ethnic church is biblical? Check the book of Acts. Today, more than ever, it's critical. Make disciples and do life. Show them what a husband and wife can look like in Christ. You need a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. There's no formula, empowerment, and comes from the Trinity. Peace. You've been listening to The Calling. Tommy Urban D. Colonnan is a lead pastor at Crossover Church in Tampa, Florida. He's the author of Rebuild. He's also a hip-hop artist and a TV host. You can follow him on Twitter at UrbanD813. That's UrbanD813. Remember to rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps us a lot. The Calling is produced by the inimitable Cray Allred. Theme music by Lee Rosevere used on the Creative Commons 4.0. This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.